You're around me very much. Some of you have been too much, probably. I rarely remember things like the names of movie stars or singers. You know, you said, and when and it comes to movies, you get beyond John Wayne and Tom Selleck, I don't know who you are, and it doesn't really make any difference. You know, I just watch it, enjoy it, or don't. And Elvis is dead, so I don't know who sings anything uh, anymore. Uh, I just uh, enjoy it. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. A lot of people are that way about this book of the Bible that we've been studying, First John. Think, well, I never have heard of that book before. Uh, and I probably don't know any of the verses, but if you grew up around church at all, you probably are familiar with some things. If there were some greatest hits from the Bible, some of the verses of 1 John chapter 4, which is the chapter we're going to look at today, would be in those things. Some of these verses are in literature and uh, you know, song and things of that nature. So to start with today, I'm not going to read all the verses in 1 John chapter 4, but I thought we'd just look at a few verses, and then there's some thoughts I'd like to pull out of those. But in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John starts like this, Beloved, uh, the people that I love, people that God loves, John, you know, John says, I'm the disciple that God loves. Uh, and the fact is, Jesus loves everybody, so we could all say, uh, you can call me Jim, the disciple, the follower that Jesus loved. But beloved, do not believe every spirit. Just because somebody comes along and says, I'm from God, and look, I have a Bible or I have some other kind of a holy book and I'm a prophet and I'm gonna hold up a sign or whatever. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we have an obligation uh, as human beings, as followers of Christ, to examine things. Does this, you know, is this consistent with what God says in his word? First John chapter 4 and verse 4, you are of God, little children, you are, and have overcome them, the false people, because, let's look at this, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I grew up with the King James Version of the Bible, which would say, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I can remember, you know, coloring those things and making poster for my parents to put up on the wall and things like that. Greater is he who is inside of you than he who is in the world. First John chapter 4 verses 7 and 8. I just like these verses because it's all about beloved and love. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Love comes from God. There is no love without God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Certain kind of love. Verse 8 he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You know, it's a, there's a phrase that we've heard a lot, God is love. It's only mentioned two times in the entire Bible, both of them in this chapter, one in verse 8, one in verse 16. God is love. And I, just a comment about that is where there is no God, there is no love of any kind. So any love, any love that you experience on whatever level can only come because God is around First, verse 12, 1 John 4, 12. No one has seen God at any time. Let's talk about that a little bit. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. The only thing people can see of God on this planet right now at this time is the love that you express that comes from God. Verse 18, uh, for, excuse me, verse uh, uh, four, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him. And he abides in God. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. Some of the guys that came over to my house on Tuesday night, uh, we got together for our house group. This is the verse we looked at right here. There is no fear in love. Are you ever afraid of anything? 
I have to raise my hands. Yep, I am. <laughs> I get scared of a lot of things uh, from time to time. But there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love throws fear out the window because fear involves torment or suffering or punishment. When you're afraid, there's just punishment in, involved. It hurts to be afraid. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Usually if we fear something, uh, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it's because we don't understand what the love of God is all about. We can only see the here and now. We can't see being with God. We can't see eternity. And we're afraid. But perfect love casts fear out. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. That's where love started. Love didn't start with me. Didn't start uh, with the Hallmark Channel and the 22 movies that are coming up in December about love. 1 John 4, 21, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So this chapter is about love. It's about how we should express the love of God, but specifically we express the love of God by loving each other. What a great chapter. If you're into scripture, memory at all, just, you can just memorize this whole chapter and it would be good for you. But today I just want to continue this series that we started called Count On It, What God Wants You to Know. And over the past week, uh, four weeks, we've looked at three subjects. The truth about forgiveness is that God forgives us totally, completely, and without reservation. Uh, the love connection, number two, means that we know that we know him if we obey him. Obeying him means that we walk as Jesus walked. Walking as Jesus walked means that we love others. And for the last two weeks, we looked at the process of transformation, the process of becoming like Jesus. And that could be summed up in this statement. Christ has put his life in you. If you've trusted him, if you've been born again, if you've been saved, Christ has put his life in you so that you can experience power over sin and can be changed into the image of Christ. Chapter four that we're gonna look at today is foundational to an understanding this Christian life thing. Chapter four defines the standard that God expects. You know, we're all about standards, aren't we? How do I know whether I measure up or not? What's the standard uh, for this? We have standardized testing and all those kinds of things. Do I measure up? So chapter four is about setting the standard and the standard is the love standard. So we're gonna look at, I'm just gonna reach into 1 John chapter four today and pull some verses out and talk about this standard that God sets, the love standard. And I'm going to mention three things to you. And the first one is this, is that God sets the standard for what love is. Uh, not you. You don't set the standard for what love is. Not me. We'd be in sad shape if I set the standard for what love is. Real love is not defined by what humans do, but, what, but by what God has done. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 says this. In this is love, or this is what love is all about. Or here's the real definition of love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, then there's this, this one word that's hard to understand, to be the propitiation for our sins or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Real love is not defined by humans, but real love is defined by God. I was reading about King Edward VIII of England. He reigned over England 
and he was the emperor of, of India or something like that, whatever they were back in, in the 1930s. He ruled for less than a year, 320-something days uh, that he ruled because he decided that he was going to marry this American divorcee by the name of Wallace Simpson. And that was looked at as, as, oh, what great love, you know, that this guy must have for this woman because he is giving up the throne of England so that he can marry her. And then there's Romeo and Juliet, you know, the great Shakespearean play. What great love this young couple had for each other, whatever it might be. Or, you know, I was watching a Hallmark movie with Gene. It's Christmas in July in the Hallmark, so you can, you can hear about it. You can, Get all these stories about Christmas miracles of love that take place. You know, and then they're all just pretty much the same, but you know, different characters, different names, and things of that nature. And I was watching it, and it said, coming this Christmas, there's gonna be 22 brand new movies. And I, how can you have this is not worldwide 22 movies? This is 22 new movies about Christmas love miracles on the Hallmark Channel coming up. Can't wait for that, can you? That's going to be wonderful. That's not, that doesn't define what love is all about, but you know, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? I find myself watching those sometimes, and they make you feel good. Uh, God sets the standard for what love is. It's through him that we really know what love is. Those are good movies. You know, those movies are good. A whole lot better than a lot of the movies uh, that are showing uh, these days, but they're not real. You know that? I mean, that's the storybook stuff. God sets the standard for what love is. He told us what love is, and you know, we read back up there in verse 10, in this is love. This is what love is all about, that, that God sacrificed himself for us, and then he showed us that. First John 4, 9 says, in this is the love of God manifested. This is how God showed us how much he loved us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. This is, that's real love here. When God gave himself up on the cross for us. Uh, and, and, and what we want to learn from this today is uh, this is the love standard. So what is, what's part of the love standard? And, and the first part of it is this, real love expresses itself. If you really love somebody, you express that. Sometimes we say things like, I really love my wife, but I'm just not good at showing it. You know, I really love my kids, but, but I just have trouble saying it. Well, you need to get good at showing it. You need to get good at saying it. And uh, if you say to some person that you really love, whether it's your husband or your wife or your children or your parent, I love you, and they laugh, because you don't ever say that. All right, what you got up your sleeve now? You know, then you know you don't say that enough, but you need to say it, you need to prove it by your actions. And so when we look at God and the love standard, the first thing we show is, see is that he expressed his love. He showed his love. He said, I love you, and then he proved it to us. And that's what we need to do for each other. And here's another thing. In God, we see that real love is sacrificial. Real love is it's not about me, it's about you. Reading those verses again, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. God's love cost him something. In fact, it cost him everything 
The father gave up his son. The son gave up his life so that we could experience forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life. And by the way, this is hard to understand, but that's the only way it could happen. It had to happen that particular way. Uh, Jesus was praying on the night that he was betrayed and then crucified the next day. And Jesus is all man and he's all God. Now as all man, this is pretty tough. And so he prays this and it's recorded for us in Matthew's gospel chapter 26 and verse 39. Oh my father, if it is possible, can we do this a different way? You know, that's what he said. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible for us to do this some other way, can we do it a different way? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It was not possible. That was the way it had to be. But I know the question comes to our mind because some of, I've discussed it with some of you. Uh, why? Why couldn't it? Why couldn't God just say, okay, everybody's forgiven. Love you. Love you guys. You know, everybody's forgiven. Or did you ever, you remember playing hide and go seek when you were a kid? Maybe you still play. I don't know. But you remember playing that? And I, re I remember being outside in the dark, you know, under a car, in the bushes, behind a tree, trying to find a way to the base, whatever it was, you know, before you got caught. And, and if, you were the, uh, if you were the seeker instead of the hider, uh, at some point in time, if you'd caught somebody or the game was over, you would say something. Do you remember what that phrase was? It, it was meaningless to me, but I find out it's a real phrase. You know, it's on Wikipedia, so it's got to be for real. There was a movie with this name, Ali Ali Oxen Free. Did you ever say anything like that? Ali Ali Oxen Free. <clears throat> that means all of you who are out there can come in without penalty. And we'd say, why can't God just do that? Why can't God just say, Ali Ali Oxen Free. Everybody, you guys, come on in. All's forgiven. Well, that, that seems like it would be a lot easier. Why couldn't God just do something like that? Well, not easy to understand, I guess, but it's about the nature of God. God is God, and God is consistent with himself. Now, here are two characteristics of God. God is holy. He's perfect. And God is just. Since God is holy and God is just, sin has to be dealt with. And we agree with that, whether we, we, we think about it or not. We hate to see somebody get, get away with stuff. You shouldn't hurt kids and get away with it, right? Okay, that's okay. We don't care that you did that. You shouldn't steal an old person's life savings, or some scam on the phone, and just get away. Why, we, don't we agree that Stuff Now, not necessarily what I'm doing, because that's kind of okay, but, but there's stuff that people shouldn't get away with. They should pay the price for that. That comes from God. God is holy, and God is just. But here's two other things God is. God is also merciful. That is, he doesn't always give us as bad things as we need. And God is compassionate. So God has to deal with sin because he's holy and just, but he's also merciful and compassionate. Therefore, sin can be dealt with according to his generous, loving nature. And so we can save ourselves. If I had to pay my own price for my sin, I'd go to hell. I don't have to do that. 
Instead, God sacrificed himself. He said, this has to be dealt with, and a price has to be paid, and it's a big price because wrong should be paid for. You shouldn't get off scot-free. So I'm going to pay the price. And he made the ultimate sacrifice. Now, I say that for that reason, but also because real love is sacrificial. And if we're loving like God loves, we sacrifice. It's not all about me, and it's not all about what I want, and it's all about what, not all about what I like best. And it's not all about what I think is best for me. I think about you. Here's another thing. God also sets the standard for love by loving the unlovely, by loving we who are hard, by loving us who are hard to love. Think about this. When you chose your spouse, got ready to get married, maybe you're not married, maybe you're just thinking about it, maybe you used to be, but when you chose your spouse, you didn't look for someone who was ugly, manipulative, dishonest, cruel, selfish, and sure to cheat on you, right? Those weren't your, right at the top uh, of your list of stuff, things that you were looking for. Now, that might have been what you got, but that's not what you were looking for. But that's what Jesus did for us. He didn't choose to love the best. He didn't go out looking for the best. But he chose to love the worst, and that includes you and me. I'm not saying we're all ugly, manipulative, dishonest, cruel, selfish, and sure to cheat, but we're in there somewhere, you know, on some of those, some of those things anyway. And God demonstrated his love for us in this. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, the apostle Paul wrote this down. He said, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, when, while we were still manipulative and ugly and all those kinds of things, Christ died for us. We don't receive God's love because we're worthy and we'll never be worthy. We receive God's love because he is loving. He loves even the unlovely and I'm glad he does because that includes you and me. And to follow his example, not only should we express our love, not only should we be sacrificial in our love, but we should be willing to love the unlovely. So First thing that we pull out of 1 John chapter 4 is that God sets the standard for what love is. Here's the second thing. Love sets the standard for what the Christian life is. So how do I know if I'm living the life? How do I know uh, if, I'm, uh, if, if I am living up to Christ's example? The Christian life is first and foremost about love. Uh, now, it's about truth. You know, it's about proper teaching as well because uh, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, uh, God's a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So yes, truth is certainly involved. Uh, and and uh, it's about living right because there are bad things to do, you know, <laughs> and there are good things to do. Um, but and those things have their place, and they're really important things, but their place is behind the most important thing, which is love. Jesus said this, John 13, John's gospel, thir verse, chapter 13, verse 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
not if you look a certain way or dress a certain way or talk a certain way or whatever, but if you have love one toward another. We learn from 1 John that love is the evidence for God's presence in your life. Now, you need that love will cause you to, to do the right things. And, and if you study God's word and want to know more about him, uh, you will believe the right things. But love is the evidence that you belong to God. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. John is not talking about some mushy, erotic, or even romantic emotionalism here. He's not talking about mere humanistic kindness and morality. He's talking about this love that comes only from God. It's a love of choice. It's a love that sacrifices for others. It's a love that loves the unlovely. That's what John is talking about. And John draws a line in 1 John 4, 8, the next verse, he says, he, do, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Uh, now we're talking about how we express this, how do people know that? It, they can only know it as we express our love because God is in his nature love. All love is not God, but God is love, so there can be no love without God. And like we saw in chapter 3, John isn't trying to make his readers doubt their salvation. He's made it abundantly clear that these people know God. He's just trying to help them evaluate the situation, evaluate their own closeness to God, and evaluate others. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, I probably wouldn't say this, but John said he's a liar. Kind of tough, you know, I tend to be a little bit more diplomatic. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? John is saying, don't listen to those who claim to love God, but show no love for anybody else. You know, it's kind of mean, evil, and nasty. If you have been born of God, chapter 3 says his seed is in you. If you have been born of God, chapter 4 says his love is inside of you. So the next step is just to let it grow. Let that love grow in you. That's a lifelong process. Verse 12, 1 John 4, 12. No one has seen God at any time. Where'd that come from? No one has seen God at any time. Uh, in in uh, John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 18, John says same thing. Nobody has seen God at any time, but Jesus has shown him. Jesus has expressed him. What this means is God's spirit. You can't see spirit. No one has seen God at any time. But here's how people can see God on this earth. If we love one another, God abides, lives in us, and his love has been made complete or mature in us. The way people see God on earth is they see God's love in you. Uh, it's not about the steeple on top of the building or the sign out by the road or how comfortable the chairs are or anything like that. It's about the love that we have for each other. Verse 16, 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Here's the other place. God is love. And he who abides, lives, stays at home in, in love, abides in God and God, in, and God in him. And he's saying here, the more deeply you love, the more deep you, deeply you live in God. Since love sets the standard for the Christian life, that's how we evaluate ourselves. 
Truth, essential. Essential. Truth is essential. But we evaluate ourselves by love. Now, let me read you. There's uh, the love chapter, the great love chapter in the Bible was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul has this reputation for being the tough guy, you know. But the great love chapter in the Bible was written by the Apostle Paul. And he says this just at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he gives the characteristics of love, and we're not going to get into that. But he's, he's writing this letter to this group of people, and they're into spiritual gifts. And one of them is called tongues, speaking in tongues, which is being able to speak foreign languages without having studied them. And he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbals. So he's talking about speaking these languages, but he said, if I'm not motivated by love, it's like one of the kids getting up here and one of them is just beating on the drums and the other one is kicking the guitar and, and, and the, the keyboard is on. And you know, so he said, that's what it's like. It's not music. It's noise. It's noise. It's just noise. I can speak all these languages and do all this stuff. It's not music. It's just noise. Verse 2. And though I had the gift of prophecy, if I could speak the very word of God and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, had, knew everything, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, you know what I am? I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, gave up everything I had, and though I give my body to be burned, and many Christians have been burned at the stake, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You want to grow in the Christian life, your first priority needs to be to grow in love. Love for God, love for others. Now, John talks about love for God, but he's stressing love for others in this situation. So he says in verse 21, this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brothers also, his fellow believers also. Loving God is more than believing right things. Remember one time, uh, James, uh, in, he's a half-brother of Jesus who wrote one of the books of the New Testament. Uh, James said, you believe there's one God? Good. The demons believe that. You know, so what? And, and it scares them to death. But they don't have a relationship with God. Believing on Jesus means having a relationship with him. Uh, and ma the, the maturing relationship includes loving other people. So the question comes, okay, how do I do that? Especially those, those unlovely people. You know, how do I do that? And John gave a little guideline back in chapter 3. He said this, 1 John 3, 18. My little children, let us love, not love in word or in tongue. That is, let's just don't say I love you. That's not enough. But in deed and truth. The New Living Translation says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Love is expressed in what you do. You love people by doing good for them. You love people by helping them. When you don't feel love for somebody, when, when you disagree with somebody, when somebody has hurt you, how do you love them? Well, you look for opportunities to do good for them anyway. 
That's the way you love them. We're talking about personal relationships here. We're not talking about one country against another country and the law and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about personal relationships. God sets the standard for what love is. Love sets the standard for the Christian life. And one more thing, and I guess I've been talking about this all along, is we need to set the standard for the world to see. We don't, sometimes Christians don't have the greatest reputation. Sometimes it's not our fault, you know. Sometimes it is our fault that we don't have the greatest reputation. So maybe the problem sometimes is because we get known for what we are against rather than what we're for. I grew up in the 60s. Make love, not war, all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, in church, we were against some stuff. Rock music, long hair on men, you know, we were against stuff. God could, certainly couldn't tolerate that. Let me tell you one thing we were against. I hope you realize I'm speaking facetiously here, just making fun of us. We were against bell-bottom pants. Now, over the boot, that's okay, but God certainly couldn't be pleased with some bell-bottoms about two feet, 21 inches from front to back. God couldn't be pleased with that kind of stuff. Really? I don't find anything in the Bible about what your pants have to look like, you know. You see what I'm talking about? Sometimes we get so involved in we're against this stuff here. We don't like this. It goes against us. Uh, Paul said this in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is really not with people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our real battle is, is a spiritual battle. Now, sometimes... That comes in the form of face-to-face with people. Sometimes people do want to hurt you. I'm not saying that. But our real battle is a spiritual battle. And our attitude toward people has to be what God's attitude was. And this is not easy, and I say this kind of stuff. And it scares me a little bit to say it because I know God's probably going to put me face-to-face with it this week. But our attitude toward people has to be the same as God's, which is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We need to get aggressive about showing the world that we love them so that we, they will know that there is a God who loves them too. There's a lot of stuff I'm against. You know, there's a lot of TV shows and, and music and movies and political ideas and economic theories and behavioral patterns and theological positions. A lot of things I'm against. And, and, and I'll always be against those things if they're wrong. And I could probably take one a week for 52 weeks and not cover them all. Uh, but, but I can't let what I'm against define who I am. Have to, have to, I want to be defined by what I'm for. And I don't want our church to be known for what we're against. I want us to be known for what we're for. In order for us to make a difference in the world, we must love the world as God loved it. Do you know, by the way, having influence on the world, do you know what the... The uh, Italian word for influence is influenza. You know how we use that word in our language? We call it the flu, right? Influenza. It, it's infectious, highly contagious. Influenza. We need to be influential. Uh, We do that by loving other people. That's the way we influence. Not by manipulating, but by loving. We need to spend some time showing the world what love is like. The world's idea of love is this. 
I will love you as long as it's easy, convenient, and it benefits me. Have you ever been loved like that? I will love you as long as it's easy, convenient, and benefits me. God's idea of love is this. I will love you because I am loved and because you are precious and valuable to me. Can you see the big difference between those two? Jesus said this. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, that you follow me if you have love one for another. That's where the Christian life begins. That's where the Christian life ends. Jesus was our example. We need to show others the same thing. By loving others as he loved us, we become complete in our love for him. By this, this is the way. Jesus said, this is the way everybody's going to know that you love Jesus if you love them. Truth, you know, I'm all about truth. Evidence, I'm all about evidence. Keeping, you know, living the right kind of life, yeah, all about that too. But there's something that gives meaning to all that other stuff, and it has to come first, and that is love. Paul said, if you don't love, and, and yet you can do all this kind of stuff, you're like a bunch of kids just beating on the instruments. Mama might say, isn't that sweet? But everybody else is plugging their ears up because it's nothing but noise. And we want to be more than noise. We want to be music. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us because you promised that you would be and we asked you to be here and, and I believe you're here with us. Pray for your wisdom and I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I ask for your guidance. It's hard to love some people that are unlovely, but please give us the grace to love as you love. In Jesus' name, amen.